0: untrodden peaks and unfrequented valleys section 13 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org untrodden peaks and unfrequented valleys and midsummer ramble through the dolomites chapter 5 cortina to Pieve de cadore part 4 the hunchback rang the zampieri bell but no one answered He knocked, but the echo of his knocking died away, and nothing came of it. At length he tried the door. It was only latched, and it opened instantly. "'Let us go upstairs,' he said, and walked straight in. We followed somewhat reluctantly. The bodyguard trooped in after us. "'This way,' said the hunchback, already halfway up the staircase. "'But the mistress of the house,' we urged, hesitatingly, "'where is she?' "'Ah, Chilosa! Perhaps she is out. Perhaps we shall find her upstairs.' Again we followed. It was a large house, and had once upon a time been handsomely decorated. The landing was surrounded by doors and furnished with old high-backed chairs, sculptured presses, and antique oak chests big enough for two or three Ginevras to have been hidden in. Our guide opened one of the doors, led us into a bare-looking kind of drawing-room, and did the honors of the place as if it all belonged to him. "'Echo il Tiziano," he said, pointing to a rough fresco which, though executed on the wall of the room, was set round with a common black and gold framing. The subject, which is very simple, consists only of three figures, a long-haired boy kneeling on one knee, and a seated Madonna, with the Christ child standing in her lap. These are relieved against a somewhat indefinite background of pillars and drapery. The drawing of this group is not particularly good. The coloring is thin and poor but there is much dignity and sweetness both in the attitude and expression of the Madonna. The drapery and background have, however, suffered injury at some time or other, and worse still, restoration. A small picture, which the lad originally appeared to be presenting as a votive offering, has been altogether painted out, but its former position is clearly indicated by the attitude of the hands of the two principal figures. According to the same respectable chain of local tradition, Titian painted this fresco at the age of eleven years. Mr. Gilbert, who knows more, and has written more, about Cadore than any of Titian's biographers, suggests that the kneeling boy is a portrait of the young painter by himself, and that he commended himself in this manner to the divine care, before leaving home, in 1486, to become a pupil of Zuccotti at Venice. Meanwhile the hunchback entertained us with the history of the fresco, the bodyguard stood gaping by, and the odious small girl amused herself by peeping into the photographic albums on the table. In the midst of it all, a door was opened at the farther end of the room, and a lady came in. To our immense relief, she seemed to take the invasion as a matter of course, and received us as amiably as if we had presented ourselves under the properest circumstances. It may be that she is in the constant habit of finding stray foreign tourists in forcible possession of her drawing-room, but she certainly betrayed no surprise at sight either of ourselves or our suite. She showed us some old maps and engravings of Cadore, a lithographed head of Titian, and some other worthless treasures, and when we rose to take our leave she asked for our cards. I value them, she said, as souvenirs of the strangers who honor me by a visit." The hunchback now went back to his own home, and we bent our steps toward the Duomo, always persecuted by the irrepressible little girl who, now that the hunchback had withdrawn, constituted herself our guide whether we would or no, and had it all her own way. She chattered, she gesticulated, she laid forcible hands upon the sketching case, she made plunges at our parasols, she skirmished round us and before us and behind us, and kept up a breathless rush of insufferable babble. The Signoras were going to the Duomo? Echo! They had but to follow her. She knew the way. She had known it all her life. She was born here. See, that was the Prefettura. Would the Signoras like to go over the Prefectura? Many strangers did go over the Prefectura. Yonder was the schoolhouse. She went to school there. She was fond of going to school. Last week she had a tooth out. It hurt dreadfully. Oh, dreadfully! It was pulled out by the medico. He lived in the piazza yonder, nearly opposite the post-office. This little house here was the house of Piroco. She had an uncle who was a Piroco, Not here, however. At Demeggi, up the valley. And she had an aunt at Cortina, and brothers and sisters, lots of brothers and sisters, all older than herself. Her sister had a baby last week. Oh, such a little baby, no longer than that. Would the senoras like to see the baby? Ah, well, here is the church. The senoras must come in by the side door. The great door is always locked, except on Saints' days and Sundays the side door is always open this way this way and please to mind the step it is a large church quite as large as the duomo of serraville unfinished externally bare-looking but well proportioned within the chancel and transept are full of pictures some two or three of which are reputed genuine titians none of these however though all in the style and of the school of the great master are so strikingly fine as to declare their parentage at first sight like the great titian of Saraval it happened fortunately for us that the parocco was in the vestry hearing strange voices speaking a strange tongue he came out a handsome gentlemanly little man of about forty-seven or fifty with keen well-cut features very bright eyes a fresh colour and silver-grey hair he entered at once into conversation and was evidently well pleased to show the treasures of his church His name and style are Don Antonio Villa, Don being probably a corruption of Domine, a Paris priest, and he has for fifteen years been parroco of this his native town. In point of taste and education he is superior to the general run of Tyrolean pastors. He takes an eager interest in all that relates to Titian and the Vicelli, and believes Cadore to be the axis on which the world goes round. The Titians in the church are two in number, one a large, life-size painting containing four full-length figures, the other an oblong, also a figure subject, half life-size and half-length. The first represents the Madonna and Child, seated, with S. Rocco standing on one side of the group and S. Sebastiano on the other. S. Rocco points as usual to the wound in his thigh. S. Sebastiano stands in the traditional Peruginesque style, with an upturned face, hands bound behind his back, and his body pierced with arrows. The coloring has sadly faded. The saints are not very well drawn. The whole design is poor, the treatment conventional, the quality of the work early, and yet no student of Titian could look at it for five minutes and doubt its authenticity. It is the figure of the seated Madonna that stamps the work with Titian's sign-manual. Here is the somewhat broad, calm face, the fresh complexion, the reddish-golden hair that he delighted to paint his whole life long. It was his favorite type of female loveliness, that type which he developed to its ultimate perfection in the gorgeous, sacred, and profane love of the Borghese gallery. Even the draperies of the Cadore Madonna, although the crimson has lost its fire and the blue has gone cold and dim, yet recall those other glowing, voluminous folds, so impossible, so magnificent, which marked the highest ideal flight ever attained in mere Piaggi. The present picture was doubtless executed, while Titian was yet a mere lad. But at the same time it bears internal evidence of having been painted after he had seen Venice, and studied the works of the Venetian colorists. Between this painting and the smaller one there reaches a great gulf of time, a gap of perhaps fifty years. The first was the work of his boyhood the second was the work of his age. He painted it, most likely, and presented it to the church during one of his summer visits to his native hills. It hangs in the Vicelli Chapel, a chapel dedicated to his own patron saint, St. Tiziano, and in that chapel, under the altar, it was his desire to have been finally laid to rest. He died, however, as we all know, in time of plague at Venice, and where he died was, of necessity, buried. This little picture, by which the Cadorini set unbounded store, represents St. Tiziano and St. Andrew adoring the infant Christ, who lies in the lap of the Virgin. Supposed to be a portrait of Titian's nephew, Marco Vecchelio kneels to the left of the spectator in rich episcopal robes of white and gold brocade. St. Andrew, a portrait of Titian's brother Francesco, crouches reverently on the right, Titian himself, bearing St. Tiziano's crozier, appears in attendance upon the saint, in the corner to the left, while the virgin mother, according to popular belief, represents the wife of the painter. The Madonna here is indifferently executed, but the child is brought out into fine relief, and the flesh is well modeled, warm and solid. The great feature of the picture, however, is St. Tiziano, whose handsome, brown, uplifted face, Italian features, rich southern complexion, and rapt devotional expression, are in the master's purest style. The white and gold brocade of the saint's episcopal vestments, and the subdued gold of his meter, reminds one, for their richness and solidity of texture, of the handling of Paolo Veronese. The head of Titian by himself in the left corner may be said to date the picture and represents a man of perhaps sixty years of age. The execution of the whole is very unequal, so unequal as to suggest the idea of its having been partly executed by a scholar. In this case, however, the figures of St. Tiziano and the infant Christ must be unhesitatingly ascribed to the hand of the master. Besides these two pictures, the treasures of Cadorre, the church contains several paintings by the brothers and nephews of Titian amongst others, a Last Supper by Cesare Vicellio, a Martyrdom of St. Catherine by Orazio Vicellio, and foremost in merit, as well as in size, four large works in tempura originally painted upon the doors of the organ, by Marco Vicellio, the nephew who sat for the St. Tiziano in the altar-piece already described. These four paintings, said the priest, had been lying for years, neglected and forgotten, in a loft, to which they had been removed when taken down from the front of the organ. It had long been his desire to get them framed and hung in the church, and now, after years of waiting, he had only just been able to carry out his design. "'A Tyrolean pastor has not many lira to spend on the fine arts,' he said, smiling. "'But it is done at last, and the Signoras are the first strangers who have seen them. They have not been up longer than three or four days.' These four pictures measured some sixteen feet in height by about eight in breadth, and were mounted in plain wooden frames painted black and varnished. The outside cost of these frames, one would fancy, could scarcely have exceeded twenty lira each, or a little over three pounds, English for the four. But Don Antonio had cherished his project for years before he was rich enough to realize it. The temperas may be described as four great panels each panel decorated with a single colossal figure. Of these, St. Matthew and St. Mark make one pair, the Angel of the Annunciation and the Virgin the other. With the exception of the Virgin, which is immeasurably inferior to the others, these figures are, far and away, the finest things in Kedore. For largeness of treatment and freedom of drawing, the writer knows nothing with which to compare them, unless it be the cartoons at South Kensington the angel of the annunciation bold beautiful buoyant as if just dropped down from heaven advances on half-bended knee with an exquisite air of mingled authority and reverence his head and flying curls are wholly esque so is the grand head and upturned face of st mark on one of the other panels though sadly injured and obliterated the angel and virgin face each other on either side of the transept looking west while St. Matthew and St. Mark occupy the same positions, just opposite. The angel, said Don Antonio, was too far separated from the Virgin, but that could not be helped, there being no other place in the Church where they could be seen to so much advantage. Having done the honors of the Sangrestia, which contained several very indifferent old pictures, including a doubtful Palmolvecchio, don antonio led the way up a narrow stone staircase to the vestiario and there as an especial favor permitted us to see some antique embroidered vestments and procession banners that had been in use on great occasion from immemorial time much more interesting than these however and much more curious was a very ancient carved and gilded predella or shrine in the florid gothic style surmounted by a dry Byzantine-looking Christ, and constructed with folding doors below, like a triptych. The panels of these doors were decorated outside with four small full-length paintings of the Evangelists, in a clear, brilliant, highly-finished manner, the heads and general treatment recalling the style of Sandro Botticelli, while inside the shrine contained four richly canopied niches, each occupied by a small carved and painted saint, very naïve and medieval, like little simaboos done in wood. This predella belongs to a period long anterior to the Titian epoch, and adorned the high altar up to the beginning of the present century. It was already long past the hour at which we had ordered luncheon, when, having thanked Don Antonio for his courtesy, we again came out into the blinding sunshine. The insufferable little girl had now happily vanished, but she turned up again as soon as we reappeared at the albergo buzzed about us all the time we were dispatching our uncomfortable midday meal and was only driven off by help of giuseppe when we went out again presently to sketch and stroll about the town and the castle hill for another couple of hours before pursuing our journey to aranzo section thirteen